some support from various people that I randomly call to help me read the scriptures. And in the modern technology that we have, it's going to be no problem. So it should be a lot of fun. And, and, uh, and that would be a Christmas present to me. So I really look forward to that. So as I walk around, I wanted to point this, to, the, to the slide on the, the screen in the back. We're going to end with the Lord's table tonight. But first, I want to talk a little bit about this topic. Um, can somebody under the age of eight tell me what that topic says? What does that say, John? The greatest stewardship. That's really good. The greatest stewardship. Already I've just lost almost everyone because you don't know what that means if you're young and you don't know what stewardship is. Do you know what a stewardship is? Elijah, did you know that if you ask most Christians in America what a stewardship is, they'll tell you that it means to give money to God or give money to the church or to tithe. That's what people think stewardship means. What a satanic way to break us out of one of the greatest ideas and concepts in all of history. That we have, listen, God who has delegated, given things down from his authority down to us. God is sovereign and that means he's the what? If you're sovereign, you're the what? The king, the ruler. The sovereign is the king and he makes the rules. He enforces the rules. He's in charge. Did you know that he's given some of that down to you and to me? He's delegated things to us. And do you know how you know what your job is that he gave you? Do you know how you know what your job is that God gave you? Um, <laughs> do you know what? To spread the gospel. That's right, to spread the gospel. How do you know what your job is? Pa- Pastor Dave, you told us. Study the word. We know because you told us, but where'd I get it? I've got a bunch of great ideas. Oh, I could spend all afternoon telling you my ideas. I'm trying to figure out how to get a rifle range together with a Bible study to do both at the same, on the same afternoon, guys. So far, most men that I've told about this love it. They're all about it. That's my idea. But what's God's, where did we get this, that, that it's our, our responsibility from God? How do we know? What do you got back there? Yeah, the Bible, God tells us. The way we know is not because Pastor Dave said it, but because God told us, and I contend that when God tells you something that he wants you to to focus on, that becomes a stewardship. That becomes a responsibility that you and I now have if he's talking to us. And I think that in the Christmas story, you have the greatest stewardship. I think you can see uh, several things that God is delegating by way of responsibility. And I think that you and I could pay close attention to what God's Word says and benefit from it. Let's do a fun thing. I want to start off with Gary Smith. I already warned Gary. There are others of you that I haven't warned, but this is your notice. Gary, where are you at? Oh, you're still, there you go. So we want to grab Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's all To a virgin engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, What kind of salutation was this? The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great.
Anybody remember the angel's name? He's the Christmas angel, but he's more than the Christmas angel. What's his name? Gabriel. Gabriel. Did you do a whole pageant where we told the whole story? For hours uh, and, and, and months, we practiced this. It was awesome, the Christmas pageant. It's the angel Gabriel. Now, here's the question that you might not know. Do you know what the word angel means? Most people don't. Most people think an angel is, um, well, actually, most people probably think an angel is a pretty lady with wings because that's the way we are. We've lost the whole biblical idea of pretty much everything, so we don't know anything about the Bible anymore. But the word angel, you might be surprised, is actually a Greek word. You know what the Greek word is? Angelos. Angelos. A-G-G-E-L-O-S in Greek. And when you put two G's together in Greek, you say ang, you say N-G. That's, the, that's why it's A-N-G-E-L. Angelos. It means not angel. I mean, that's just taking the Greek and putting it in English letters. That's a cheat. What is an angel? What is an angel? An angel is a messenger. An angelos carries a message. He's a revealer. He has something that the person sending him wants him to say. Now, we, too, we usually don't think the messenger is that important, right? I mean, the messenger, he's just the guy giving the message. What do we say about the messenger? Don't kill the messenger. Because he didn't author the message. He's just giving the message. You see, that's what a message, that's what an angel is. Their job, when they're called an angelos, is to carry a message. Now, here's the most important thing of all. It's the greatest stewardship. Where does his message come from? Where does the angel get his idea that he's supposed to share with these people? I mean, is Gabriel just like, I'm bored. I've got to do something. I mean, it's, it's let's go talk to some shepherds. Is, is Gabriel just coming up with stuff on his own? Maybe the Lord will like this if I do this. No, he's got marching orders. He's dispatched from heaven. He's carrying God's message. And so he's supposed to say the words that he says. And he's supposed to tell the people that he tells because who wants them to know? Who's got this message for them? God. It's God's word. And that's what the angel carries. He's a messenger carrying God's word. And in Revelation 2 and 3, I'd like to remind you, we're no angels. Those aren't pastors. Those are angels. Angeloi in Revelation usually, I mean, always means angels. Now, what is the delegation that these people are receiving? What's happening to Mary? Think about it. God has just told her, you're going to have a baby. Now, every baby is a stewardship. Every baby is God delegating the greatest responsibility that you can imagine to bring life into this world, to, to raise that life, to, to disciple that child, to raise that child to fear the Lord and love God. That's the most wonderful and important discipleship of all. It's a magnificent stewardship. Now, watch this. Mary, though, has a little bit of a different, a little higher stewardship she's supposed to raise after the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, the anointed one. What an incredibly high calling. What an amazing thing that she's given. It's a magnificent stewardship. And I just want you to see that Gabriel's got the stewardship of God's word. He gives it to Mary. Mary now has this information, this instruction from the Lord. So what is her proper response? Young people, help me out. What is Mary supposed to say when God says, this is the program, greetings, favored one. God has a plan. Here's what it is. What's she supposed to say? Not me, right? Is that what she's, what she's supposed to say? God says, I've got a plan for you. What are you supposed to say to God's plan? Yes, sir. That's the deal? Okay, now that I know it's the deal because you told me it's the deal. You take God's word and you believe it. And then you do what it says. And so she's gonna have a baby and raise that baby to fear his father in heaven. 
and ultimately be our Savior and go to the cross and die for our sins. And that's the gospel. And Mary's a steward of that ministry as a mother. What a magnificent thing that she was entrusted. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, y'all, are, I know everybody's going to read these through with their families and do, put them in chronological order like we're doing. And we've grabbed some of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Gary had a heavy lift. He had the big one. But um, let's do something not quite as big. Got a Bible over there? Where is he going with this? Pastor Dave. You got Matthew 118? All right, come on. So what you get for putting on a suit and telling everybody about Jesus. All right. Matthew 118. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away to secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. Okay, what's the angel's name in the Matthew chapter 1 story? What's his name? John, do you know? Gabriel. You think it's Gabriel? Does it say that in Matthew 1? It doesn't say it, but we're guessing. We figure it's Gabriel, right? Because he's named elsewhere. He's named in, in Luke. And that, I just want you all to notice, it doesn't call him Gabriel, but I think it is. I think the same messenger, the same messenger from God is carrying these messages to God's people for God's purposes. And guess what happens when Joseph, the designated steward of this responsibility, the one that God gives this charge to, guess what happens when the word of God comes to him? What does he do? Does he wake up from the word that he got in his dream and say, well, I know that the word of God said that, but I'm going to do something different. I already had a plan in motion. I had, some, I had some ideas of my own. Is that how he responded? Or did he take God's word and then change his life and orient himself to what God had said? He had a stewardship from God. He had that word that is the first stewardship, the word that he got. That gave him his responsibility. You're going you're gonna to have the Messiah as your child, and you, you preserve the status of your wife, and you take care of her, and you take this in, and you take this on. And that's a heavy lift, and that changed his life. It changed his life forever, and it changed his life. I mean, really, forever. Here we are 2,000 years later talking about this. So what do you do when you get God's word? It's the same pattern. It's the Christmas pattern in the Christmas story. We learn from God's word how to appropriate the word of God when we receive it. I don't expect you to hear Gabriel, an angel, tell you in a dream. I don't expect that. In this age, I don't, I don't expect that. But when you do have the word of God, you become responsible for it. When you have something from God's word that you now understand and you see how it is binding on you, you don't want to be like the guy in James 1 and just walk away forgetting what the word said. You want to be a doer of the word and get serious about it. All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2.
think I can get you to do chapter 2, verse 1 through 7? Probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hand him mic to mic. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Y'all know I'm captivated by the fact that there's no place for the Lord Jesus to lay his head. There's no place because um, that's the world that he came to. They didn't want him. They didn't want him when he was born. They don't want him now. We want him. We have him. And that's the difference between you, the light, and the world, the darkness that you shine the light into. The darkness doesn't want the light. Too bad. Shine the light. And I don't mean be, be boorish about it, but don't be, don't be apologetic or ashamed either. Now, the reason I bring this verse to you and pause here is not that an angel came and gave a message. He didn't. This is just the circumstances of their lives. There's a political reality. They're supposed to go down uh, geographically south. Uh, Elevation-wise, they go up to Jerusalem, but they're going south from Nazareth where they live down to Judea where their ancestral home is because they're both from the city, the household and lineage of David, both Mary and Joseph are. And so he's got to go register for the census for Quirinius for, for the taxes. Now, the reason I bring this up, I just want to remind you of the coincidences that are not coincidences, the, the providential arrangement of history. God told us hundreds of years before that the Messiah was going to be born. The one whose comings were from eternity past would be born in Bethlehem, the little town of Ephrathah. Bethlehem, Ephrathah in Micah 5.2. The prophecy is very clear. Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's in Matthew 2. The wise men ask, uh, I mean, the, the, the wise men come and then, and then Herod asks his scribes, where's the Messiah going to be born? Bethlehem, Ephrathah. But yet somehow he's from Nazareth. He's not born in Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. How is that possible? How is that going to work out? Well, it worked out because his family is from Nazareth, and when they come back from Egypt, they settle, and he's raised in Nazareth and up in Galilee. And it's very detailed. And to us, it's very flat because for us, 700 BC is not much different from you know, the first century AD. 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago, who cares? 2,700 years ago, what's, a, what's 700 years? But when Isaiah says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son in Isaiah 7.14, and then it happens literally as, as the angel prophesies, you see that the Old Testament is messianic and it's anticipating this one. We are growing out in our faith of the New Testament, growing out of the Old Testament prophecies. And so even the, the taxes, even Roman taxes are making this happen. All right. I need one more help, Justin. Can you help me with Luke 2, 8 through 20? You ready over here? All right. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as had been told them. All right. What's the name of the angel that appeared to the shepherds? (laughs) It could be. could be. But that's not really the right question, because as we listened, it wasn't just one angel, right? One angel started the conversation, and then, then the lights in the house came on, and you saw the myriads and myriads of angels. Now, this is an interesting performance or vision or thing for these people to see, these shepherds, because there's just a handful of them, and this is a rare thing. Think about this. It's a rare thing. Usually, we're watching, you know, a couple of handfuls of guys, and the whole stadium's watching them. There's just a couple handfuls of guys watching the heavenly host of the angels. It's reverse. And why do these guys get such a privilege? Why are they so honored? Because the great shepherd is being born. I believe God has a motif in mind. The great shepherd is Jesus, and he's uh, honoring, God is honoring these shepherds who get to be part of this story. The greatest, most dazzling revelation of the story of Christmas is given to these bumpkins, these nobodies. And that's God's way. And that's, that's James 2. God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that's coming. Now, what did the shepherds do when the angels told them to go find the baby? What did they do? I see that hand. Hang on. What did the shepherds do? Did you you read it? Did you hear it? When the the angels said, go find the baby in the manger, do you know what the shepherds did? They went and found the baby. Now, why? Why did they do that, John? Why did they do that? They had, the, they had the word of God from the angels, so they knew what to do. It's so wonderful. If I don't know what God's word is saying, then I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. But if it is God's word, I know what he's saying to do, then I, I'm very, life is very straightforward. Some of you are going to get Lego sets tomorrow morning. Do your parents a favor, children. Don't let the little Lego pieces end up in the carpet. Oh no, not in the pathway from between dad's bed, the bedroom and the bathroom. Don't put the Legos on the floor because he's going to cut his foot open. Oh, that hurts. Can you imagine one of these really super special, specialized Lego sets that these kids are getting now? Not my kids, y'all's kids, not my kids. Can you ima- Just kidding, kids. Can you imagine if you got the Lego set, boys and girls, and didn't have the instructions? It would ha- what usually happens with these expensive Lego sets would happen much faster. The erosion of it kind of decomposes and ends up in a pile of, of Lego goo. Just a box of random Legos. And then someone always comes along and says, well, the fun thing is if you build what you, you, know, what you have in your imagination. You're like, yeah, that's great. Except for that thing that we bought, th- that was a really cool thing. Anyway, the point is, if you didn't have your instructions for your Lego set, you would end up with maybe something rather creative, but it wouldn't be the thing that it could have been if you had the instructions, just how it is. 
This is how life is. Don't pretend like your life is this Lego set, this awesome thing that doesn't have instructions. God's word is really clear, and the shepherds demonstrate this. Now, what did Mary do when she got the word of God that the shepherds got from the angels and she heard it from the shepherds? What did Mary do? Did y'all listen close? Mary, did you know? Yes. What did she do? What did, what did Mary do? Do you remember what it says about her heart? Something special that Mary would often do when people would tell her something from Revelation, from God's word. John knows. She treasured these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. When God's word came to Mary, she held on to that. She meditated on that. She thought about that. That's what you and I need to do with the word. Can y'all sit? Can y'all stand? Can y'all bear five, five ideas, five points about stewardship of the word of God from the Christmas story? I think you can. I can even take this on the road, so I will. The first idea is when God tells us something, we become responsible for that information. Some of you maybe have experienced in life that God tests you on the information that he's taught you. He expects you to put it into practice. I've seen it today. I've seen it today where the word is presented and then the person has the opportunity to use it and then they either do or do not. What's the goal of our instruction? Didn't even take a breath. What's the goal of our instruction? Do you know what it is? First Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith. Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Everything goes back to loving God and loving his people for his sake and the power of his spirit. That's the wonder of the time we live. We have the Holy Spirit. And you have the word of God. You know the instruction. Now you're responsible. Just like the people in the Christmas story. When the angel comes to, 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 John, or, sorry, to Joseph and says, all right, get up. Uh, why are you sleeping? Get up. Uh, they're coming to kill the baby. Go to Egypt. You know what Joseph does? He doesn't check his almanac. He doesn't check his emails. He doesn't wonder for a second if maybe God is right or wrong. He says, okay, let's get up. Every pack up, we're leaving. And that's the way you do with God's word when God tells you. The second idea is the appropriate response, the right response to God's word. Do you know what the right thing when you hear God's word is? Is to believe it. It's to believe it. This is not what they call fideism. This is just the fact that we have God speaking and that's what the Bible is. When you have the word of God presented to you, the right response is faith. And the third idea is you and I should always trust someone who is voracious. Okay, now's the point. Moms and dads, I know you know this word, but I'm going to teach the kids a new word. This is a really good word. Do you know the word voracious? Not voracious. Not pastor went long in the sermon and then we didn't get home till 1230 and so we're starving and we're voracious. That's a different word. This is voracious. It has to do with having veracity, being a person of truth. Veracity is a big word for truth. And voracious is an adjective to describe someone that tells the truth. He tells the veritas, the truth. This is a great word to have. It describes our God. He's voracious. He always tells the truth. Do you know when he tells the truth? Do you know when God tells the truth? Always. What does God always tell? The truth, right? See how you keep working that. Who always tells the truth? God. Yep, we got it. Where it is. God always tells the truth. And so if you're dealing with somebody that always tells the truth, when he tells you something, you should always believe it. And this is the problem, in my view, of the, of the time which we live is mysticism. People will tell you that God said, but you can't verify that he said. How do I know that he said? I mean, really? I, I, maybe, maybe that was for you, that you had an impression or you had indigestion. Or what did Scrooge say? You're a little piece of undigested potato. I mean, whatever the reason people have these impressions, that isn't necessarily God's word. But when God says, then I'm responsible 
right? To believe him because it's God. And I believe the Bible, I believe based on 2 Timothy 3.16 and some other places, I think the Bible word for word, Jesus said not one jot or tittle will pass away from this law until all is fulfilled. I believe every word of scripture, especially and including Genesis 1 through 11, is word for word God's word. And therefore, word for word, believable, trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. Oh, but they know better. They don't know better. Oh, but we have eyewitnesses that God couldn't have created in the six days. You don't have eyewitnesses. You have unbelief. And you're trying to make it work. You're trying to make it walk on all fours. Um, and it won't. All right. The fourth principle I want to I encourage you with is that every word of the Bible is God-breathed. Every word is God-breathed. Does anyone know 2 Timothy 3.16? Who's under, under uh, 12 years old? Anyone know the verse 2 Timothy 3.16? Do you know it back there? Preacher man, you got it? No? All Scripture? Is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness? Now, when Paul says that, He's talking about the Old Testament scrolls. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures when he said that. He was talking about, listen, the apostle of grace was talking about the Mosaic law. When he said all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And if God is true and he has given us every word of scripture, and then I, then I should listen to what he said. And if that's true, just like the shepherds, just like, just like Joseph, just like Mary, when we get a word from God, we should do it. We should be serious about what it says. So fifth and finally, as with the pattern of the Christmas story. John, can you belt that out? What does that say? What's number five say? As with the pattern of the Christmas story, we... We, we believe when we have God's word. And we what? And we obey. We trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I hope, I pray, I trust that in God, this idea of the, the observation of the Christmas story, you see these people being exemplary. When they receive God's word, they take it on faith and they execute. Well, with one exception, who didn't believe the word of God? And so he got a little bit of a judgment, a little bit of a temporary setback. Do you know? <laughs> do, you, do you know? who John knows. You guys are campaigners. Do you know who didn't believe God's word and got a setback? I'll give you a hint. He was made mute until the baby be, until his baby was born. Yeah. Yeah, Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. So these are cousins of Jesus. He was mute, and the, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, You're gonna have your wife's gonna have a baby. You're gonna name him, name him Grace, which is what John means. You're gonna name him John. And uh, and he's gonna pave the way for the Messiah. He's gonna be the forerunner. And, and Zechariah didn't believe, and Gabriel said, okay, mute, you don't get to talk. And see, it's a very consistent pattern. When you get God's word, what are you supposed to do? When God gives you his word, what are you supposed to do? Do you know? You're supposed to believe it first, and then obey it. Believe it, and then obey it. And I love that so many of the commands of scripture are followed by a promise. Command, then promise. Command, then promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understandings, that's a command. And all your ways know him, and he'll straighten your path. That's the promise, right? You get the command, and then you get the promise that goes with it. And that's so nice that God has arranged our lives that way. Well, let's turn our attention to a real stewardship that God has given us. We have the word of God regarding his son. He is the incarnation.